The world has a way of killing dreams, doesn't it? You set out with high hopes for your education, your career, your family, your retirement years. You have plans, aspirations, and expectations. But things don't always turn out the way you expected. Plans fall through. People let you down. You let yourself down. Suddenly, the life you're living isn't the life you dreamed of at all or you find yourself in a place you never expected to be. Luke Weiner didn't expect to be back in Wabash, at least not this soon. As a student finishing up college and planning to get engaged, he was in a season of transition, trying to figure out what God had for him next. Jake and Kristen Pegg never expected to be parents at 18 years old, and they never expected their baby to have constant seizures and tumors throughout his body. Cheryl Eaton never expected to be airlifted to Fort Wayne due to a massive heart attack on June 15th of last year. Janet Legessa never expected how heavy the burden of student loans could be. Tori Plank never expected to lose a child to miscarriage. She never expected to give birth to a son who only weighed two pounds and whose chance of survival was slim. Bailey Kime never expected to feel so alone as a college student. She never expected to experience depression. Dan Matthews never expected pancreatic cancer. He never expected to hear words from the doctor, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. None of this was a part of their dreams. I don't know where you're at today, but we all have dreams that haven't come true. We all find ourselves in places we never expected to be. We know how it feels to be so disappointed, so discouraged. It feels as though all hope is gone. And if that's not true for you right now, it's probably true for someone you know, and maybe for someone you love. Well, happy Easter to you too, Joel. <laughs> I know that seems like a strange way to start an Easter sermon. Easter is supposed to be about joy, a new day, new clothes, a new lease on life, and it is. But that's not where it begins. It begins at a grave with a woman weeping. So let's begin our journey there this morning, in that dark place. And let's see if scripture can lead us to a brighter place, a place of hope. We're going to be looking in the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, verses 10 through 18. The Gospel of John offers us some detail and some richness to the resurrection story that the other Gospels leave out. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us what happened. John teaches us how to live in light of what happened. John 20, verse 1, tells us that Mary had already made one trip to the tomb on this morning. When she and the other women found it empty, they hurried back and shared the news with the disciples, two of whom ran out to see for themselves. Mary followed them back out again, but by the time she arrived, they had already turned to go home, which left Mary alone at the empty tomb, its gaping emptiness staring her in the face. She did the only thing left to do. She cried. Now, who is this Mary Magdalene? Well, Magdalene wasn't her last name. The literal translation is Mary the Magdalene, 
which indicates that this Mary comes from the village of Magdala on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. She was one of several women who became followers of Jesus and helped to support him in his ministry. We're also told that Jesus delivered her from seven demons. We don't know what that possession looked like in Mary's case. But we do know from other biblical accounts that demons could cause a person to cut themselves, throw themselves into a fire, and lose control of their behavior and their emotions. Such people were typically locked up or sent out into the streets to live on their own. Whatever her past had been, Jesus, with a word, delivered her from it, set her free from those dark forces, and she found life again, a life centered on Jesus. But now, suddenly, tragically, it seemed he was gone. Woman, why are you crying? The angels asked. It must have sounded to her like the most ridiculous question in the world. Why shouldn't she be crying? Jesus was gone. Verse 13 says, They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. Notice how she speaks of him. As a person still. Not, they have taken his body away, but they have taken my Lord away. Her teacher. Her savior. The one who had given her life back. After years of torment, she had begun to dream again. Of good things for herself and her people. But the world had killed that dream. A Roman cross and three nails was proof. What now? Would the fear and anxiety come back? The demons that had once haunted her? What would she do? Who would she be? What did the future hold without Jesus? She might have well have said, They have taken my hope away, and I don't know where they put it. Hope. What is hope anyway? Wishful thinking? Naive optimism? We say, Hope it doesn't rain. Hope the economy bounces back. Hope the sermon doesn't go too long. That is wishful thinking. The dictionary tells us that hope is a desire with the expectation of fulfillment. So hope begins with the desire for something good, but then adds the element of expectation, of confidence. Without expectation, it's just a wish. And wishes tend not to come true. When we hope for something, we're counting on it. But hope is more than a word. Hope is to the spirit what oxygen is to the body. Without it, we die. Hal Lindsay said, Man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. When a team loses hope, the game's over. When investors lose hope, the stock market tumbles. When a patient loses hope, death is crouching at the door. Viktor Frankl survived years in the Nazi concentration camps. He noticed that prisoners died just after Christmas. They were hoping they'd be free by then. When they weren't, they gave up. He learned that as long as prisoners had something to live for, a reason to press on, they could endure just about anything. But once they lost hope, they quickly died. Dostoevsky said that to live without hope 
is to cease to live. Bob Knight has a different take on it. Bob Knight, of course, is the legendary and controversial basketball coach who led the Indiana Hoosiers to three national championships while boasting one of the highest graduation rates for his players. He was also famous for throwing chairs and chewing out officials, players, fans, just about anybody in the vicinity. Ten years ago, he wrote a book titled The Power of Negative Thinking. According to Bob Knight, hope is the worst word in the English language. He says it's foolish and lazy to tell yourself that things are going to be all right. They'll only be all right if somebody steps up and does something. Now, I don't usually agree with Bob Knight, but this time he's onto something. Hope needs a reason. Something or someone that can change the trajectory, that can get us to a better place. Without a reason, hope is just wishful thinking. All of which to say, Mary had no reason to hope that morning. There was no wishful thinking, no naive optimism. She expected nothing more than a corpse badly in need of spices. Remember, she's already been to this tomb once. She heard the angel say, he is risen. But she's not buying it. She watched him die. She saw him laid to rest. As far as she's concerned, it's over. The empty tomb did not speak to her of resurrection, not by a long shot. So she did what we all do at a fresh grave. She wept because there was nothing else to do. Mary had no reason to hope that morning until she sensed someone standing there. She turned to see who, and that someone asked her a question. We'll pick up reading at verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. She didn't recognize him at first. Maybe it was her tears. Maybe it was the dim morning light. Most likely it was the fact that his appearance had changed, as we know from other accounts. Woman, why are you crying? There it is again, that question. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus' first words after his resurrection were in the form of a question. In all of the Gospels, we see him meet people where they are ask questions, listen, understand, give them time. And here he does the same thing as he teaches us how to share hope. And it turns out we don't share hope by hitting people over the head with it. Notice Jesus doesn't say to Mary, ta-da, it's me, Jesus. He doesn't say, stop crying, woman, it's all good. And he certainly doesn't scold her for lack of faith. He meets her where she is. He asks her to tell him about it and listens as she explains once again. Have you ever noticed how grieving people need to tell you what happened again and again? Mary does the same thing. In fact, let's give Mary credit for staying in the moment. Notice the other two disciples. I hate to say it, but they do the typical guy thing. They turn it into a competition. They race each other to the tomb. They barge right in. They find it empty. They leave the grave clothes lying there. They say to themselves, oh, there's nothing to be done here. 
Might as well go and grab breakfast. Mary stays in the moment, and Jesus meets her there. There's a lesson there for those of us who want to share hope with people. Don't rush to good news. When someone is hurting, discouraged, or grieving, they don't need a happy pep talk, and they certainly don't need religious cliches. Everything happens for a reason. They're in a better place. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Don't say it and definitely don't sing it. Grief is real. Loss is painful. Unemployment stinks. Relationships can break your heart. And we need to say so. We need to feel it. If someone in your world is hurting, if you want to share hope with them, the best thing you can do is to meet them in that moment. Ask them to tell you about it. And then sit still long enough to listen. That's what Jesus does for Mary. But then when she's ready, he gently and very personally reveals himself to her. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary, he says. And there was something about the sound of his voice, something about the mention of her name that opened her eyes and her heart. It was him. Rabboni, she says. It's a term of affectionate respect. You know, people around here generally call me Joel, and I'm comfortable with that. But I find when I visit someone in a hospital or at a funeral home, they want to call me pastor. And that's probably how Mary said it. Rabboni. And suddenly, she had a reason to believe. Notice that it wasn't enough for Mary simply to confront the evidence of the resurrection. The empty tomb, the angel's announcement. That wasn't enough to convince her. She needed something more personal than that. A real encounter with Jesus. And we need the same thing. Those of us who struggle with the resurrection, we need evidence. And there's plenty. An empty tomb, written records, both biblical and non-biblical, the sudden and immediate transformation of the disciples, the emergence of a brand new faith, the great divide in human history, B.C. and A.D., the changed lives of people that you know. But we also need something personal, something experiential. And that's what the Lord offered Mary there at the tomb. Suddenly, he was there, more real, more powerful, more glorious than she had ever known him to be. And because of that, she had hope. Jesus was not only there with her. He had proven that he was stronger than death, stronger than evil, stronger than all the bad things that can happen in this world. She must have thrown her arms around him at that point or taken hold of his feet or something. Because Jesus says in the original language, stop clinging to me. He's telling her that he's still going to be with her, with all of them, but not in the same way that he was before. He's going to return to the Father and send his spirit to be with them, to be in them, always, everywhere. And he still has work for her to do, 
a message to share, more life-changing, more earth-shaking than she ever imagined. Go and tell, he says. Tell my brothers, tell the world, death is defeated, I am risen. And that's exactly what she did. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. You see, hope is not a what or a when or a why. Hope is a who. Hope has a name. Bob Knight is right. Things don't get better just because we want them to. They get better because somebody does something. Hope is always embedded in a person. Shareholders hope the new CEO can turn the company around. Citizens hope a new leader can get the country back on track. Colts fans hope that a new head coach can lift their team out of mediocrity. Hope is a who. Somebody wise enough, strong enough, good enough to get us to a better place. And Jesus Christ is that someone. His resurrection proves that he's stronger than any setback, any failure, any loss, any disappointment, any fear that may come at night. If the world has a way of killing dreams, Jesus has a way of bringing them back to life. That's not to say we always get what we want or that every bad thing can magically be undone. Life doesn't work that way. But it is to say that God can and will do something good with our future. Notice Mary didn't get exactly what she wanted. Jesus wasn't going to be with her the way that he had been. But he was going to be with her in ways that she had never dreamed possible. There was still a lot she didn't understand. And she didn't know exactly what the future held. But she knew it could be good now that Christ had risen. And that's what hope is. Hope is the confidence that God can and will do something good in this life and the life to come. Hope is the confidence that God can and will do something good in this life and the life to come. So whatever circumstance you may find yourself in this morning, whatever pain, whatever loss, whatever disappointment you may be dealing with, God can do something good with it or in it. That doesn't minimize the pain or the loss or the evil of it. It simply means the story isn't over yet. God can and will meet you in that place, in that moment, as surely as he met Mary in her dark place. And he is strong enough and wise enough to do something good, something meaningful, something eternally significant. In this life, we can find joy, beauty, forgiveness, healing, purpose, restoration, and the reality of God's presence in our lives every day. In the life to come, we can look forward to reunion with those we have lost, the restoration of all creation, and to eternal life with God and one another in a world beyond our imagination. Hope isn't wishful thinking. It's unshakable living. It's facing the future knowing that God can and will do something good in this life and the life to come. If you're looking for a sign, look no further than the empty tomb. The empty tomb is the ultimate sign that hope is here. You know, we left our stories unfinished. Luke Weiner sought the Lord. He prayed. 
and he followed the Lord's leading and accepted the call to be our interim student minister here at Bachelor Creek. Jake and Kristen Pegg started coming back to church, and they had the church gather around and pray for their son. And miraculously, his seizure stopped for six years. And today, their son Carter has defied the odds. Cheryl Eaton was able to come home after 17 days in the hospital, and she's singing on stage today. Janet and her husband, Mickey, they paid off $60,000 in four years in student debt after trusting God in their finances. Tori Plank's son, Dawson, is now a strong and healthy 10-month-old baby boy. Bailey Kime received the help she needed. Today, she knows she's loved and valued by God, and she is on a journey toward healing. Dan Matthews had a doctor call who is willing to take a look at his case. He performed successful surgery, and now Dan is back home and worshiping with us this Easter. Did things get instantly better for these people? No, not for most of them. Yes, God's power has been revealed. He has worked in miraculous ways, but they still face challenges. But that's not the point. Every one of them in their own individual situation, whether they needed physical healing, peace of mind, stability, you name it, in their moment of need, they found hope. And hope makes all the difference. What do you do when you're sent home with the words, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do? What do you do when you feel like you've hit rock bottom and there's nowhere else to turn? What do you do when your child is born premature and the doctors don't know if he'll survive? What do you do when the debt piles up and it feels like you're never getting out? I can tell you, in times of desperation, a lecture isn't going to help. Trying to fix it yourself isn't going to help, because if it could, it would already be fixed because you tried doing that. What you need is hope. And that's what Easter offers every one of us. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. If today you find yourself in a rough place, have the courage and honesty to stay in that place and invite Christ to meet you there. If you know someone who's in a tough place right now, someone who's dealing with pain, disappointment, or loss, share hope with them. Ask them how they're doing. Listen to them. Be with them. Pray for them. And when the time is right, point them to Jesus. Because this world has a way of killing dreams, but Jesus has a way of bringing them and us back to life. Mary had the courage and honesty to hang around the tomb for a while. Can I encourage you to do the same? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. God, that's not wishful thinking. That's not naive optimism. That is rock-solid, unshakable hope. We know that Jesus is alive. He transformed those first disciples, and he's still transforming lives today. And God, I pray that the reality of the resurrection, the hope of the empty tomb, would fill our hearts today. And that we would live lives with meaning, significance, and purpose, knowing that you have a plan 
for us in this life and the life to come. We give you, Lord, all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, because you are a God who raised Jesus from death to life. And we have the hope and the promise that you will do the same for each and every one of us. We hold on to that promise today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bible teaching ministry of Bachelor Creek. If you made a decision for Christ, want someone to pray with you, or are ready to take the next step in your faith, we want to help you. Text Jesus to 260-563-4109 and one of our ministers will be in touch with you. We believe that Jesus changes everything and Jesus wants to change your life for all eternity. Again, if you've just made a decision, text Jesus to 260-563-4109. Bachelor Creek is located on State Road 15, just north of Wabash. We'd love for you to worship with us in person on Sundays at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. We hope to see you soon.